Right on. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to smoke all this thing. All right. All right, here we go. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler. Um, we're here on the Fringe FM, uh, if you're listening live, at least. And I'm here with a good friend of mine, Alex, um, from Europe. Um, he's he's the guy. He, he likes to wear this cool mask. Um, like, it, I, I, Dude, Alex, what is that mask from? It's from something, right? Or it's uh, like... Well, it's not mask. something, but it's inspired by uh, Jack the Ripper. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, for anybody that doesn't know Alex, um, yeah, um, like he's very low key. I like this guy a lot. Um, you know, he he appreciates his privacy, and I get why because the internet can be a crazy place. Um, I'm a little bit younger than Alex, so I think I would be the same as him if I was his age i think i just grew up in a time where the internet jaded me enough to where i just operate in a certain way and um um but you know i still got a little bit of the pre-internet i remember uh brick cell phones and telephones in cars and stuff (laughs) but i was a little kid i was very little um but um yeah, so Alex uh, and I have a very similar mindset. He ha- he hosts the uh, the podcast Natural Born Alchemist, so you know we're gonna be talking some alchemy and hermeticism, um, and we actually have had conversations on his show in the past. So you could go do some perusing and check those out. Um, we were talking before the break or uh, before the the recording in general um, about the fact that he used to live uh, for a brief period of time here in America. Uh, you said it was Oklahoma City. Yeah, uh, Midwest City. Uh, what, what did you think of it? Uh, to, for the oh, I liked it. It was a big culture shock. Yeah, uh, I I liked it uh, because I knew I wasn't there permanently. But I would don't think I would have liked it if I had to live there permanently. But uh, I I met some cool people. I got in with the, which surprised me. Where I'm from in Europe, the the people who were considered cool in school would, would be considered nerds here. So it was huh. completely opposite. <laughs> and uh, so I got in with the, the outcasts in, in Oklahoma, the, the rock and rollers, uh, the people who smoked. Smoking was not cool in, in Oklahoma. <laughs> but it was cool in, uh, in Europe, you know, but if you're a teenager. Right. But, uh, I like that. But it, it was extremely... I don't know if it's like that now. This was a while ago, but I was shocked that it was so segregated. Yeah, and, I feel like uh, I have family in Georgia and I'm here in Florida now. So in Florida, um, um, here on the, in uh, Pensacola, the only the only sort of, I don't know, part of the one of the only parts of the panhandle that isn't just real honest backcountry. And so, yeah, there's a lot of. That Bible Belt stuff gets so tiring. Um, you, you and I both, uh, to the esoteric extents, appreciate aspects of, um, you know, the Old and New Testament. But uh, the idea of the Christian, Alex, you would like this, um, or in a in a way where you roll your eyes and you're like, what does humanity come to? <laughs> but I I uh I rolled my eyes and laughed. So when I first moved to Pensacola, um. I was hanging out with Justin Otto, um, host of Dharma Junkie, because I just sort of happenstantially, I knew he'd be in the area, and I picked a place to move, and uh, I didn't realize I'd be so close to him. So we're like neighbors now. Um, and he, I, I said, Justin, what is the deal with these people dressed in like 
they're if they're not in all black they're in dark colors usually and so it's hot it's really muggy like sunday or uh, like any day midday they're standing out on street corners and like busy intersections just holding bibles just doing nothing else and um there was most of them are holding bibles we came across one guy that actually had the big old uh like it wasn't even just a picket. It was a giant uh, like canvas of a bloody Jesus on the cross and and uh, and hellfire on another one. And this guy was screaming his ginger face beat red into a megaphone as people were just coming in and out of Target. I haven't seen anything like that since. Um, but I asked Justin and he said, yep, they're around, man. So welcome back to the South. So, yeah, America's a strange place. It really is. I like to be a chameleon. I'm a Gemini, so I like to enter certain cultural or uh, societies and and be one of them to live it in their shoes. So I did go to those, um, uh, what do you call it, Uh, those uh, churches that are more like an entertainment facility where it's like a big show and they heal you and uh, yeah. cast satan out and i went to all of that and <laughs> i um, also uh, found it extremely interesting but it was very hard i really had to focus all my energy not to get sucked in uh, because at the time i was an atheist like i was a like a i was almost like richard dawkins you know like i was a, got you that was my mentality at the time and uh, even still they almost dragged me in because, and they, they uh, unlike, I'm not an atheist now, uh, ayahuasca cured me of that, but <laughs> uh, when I was in Oklahoma, it wasn't a, it was fear that almost made me not an atheist because there were so much like threats. And I even list, they had like any kind of music you wanted, if you wanted grunge or gangster rap or whatever you wanted they had the christian version and uh, i was listening to this gangster rap and he was like basically describing how what would happen to me when i went to hell and that and, and i was only <sighs> i wasn't even 18 at the time so it, it was a bit scary and I, my you know i was away from my parents i wasn't with my parents you know i was alone basically uh so, uh, yeah, it was quite scary. So I could imagine how easily it would be if you grow up there and you have those kinds of parents. I mean, how easily you would be brainwashed uh, when I was almost brainwashed and I didn't even believe in it. Yeah, well, um, well said, because this is part of the reason that I'm so fascinated in the sort of indoctrinating aspects of religion and just flat out cults on top of, you know, genuine uh, sort of grassroots spirituality and metaphysics and mysticism is it, it really is a fine line. And I think in a sense, I think that that feeling that uh, that you get that sort of that metaphysical fire in inside you that um sometimes it and i guess yeah i I guess that metaphor works better than i even intended it to because that fire can either like stoke the fuel get you going or it could be a fearful thing um because there's a there's a lot of hellfire involved uh especially in the west and um it really depends on um yeah it 
it depends on, uh, you know, how like those things can be powerful metaphors. I, you know, I'm very much as I, I know you are as well. We're we're very metaphysical and spiritual, um, but we we like the allegories as well. And the whole idea of heaven and hell makes a lot more sense. And it's even I don't know, just more like tangibly useful, um, like artistically and psychologically to consider these things as aspects of the world we live in. You know, any given moment can be heaven or hell and it can really show in in certain cases. But um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to all those churches, too. Um, like my mom, my dad was pretty indifferent. My mom raised us pretty Christian and then just kind of fizzled out. There's, you know, there's family struggles and stuff. And so we didn't end up going to church a lot, um, which I'm thankful for in the long run, because I feel like she instilled me with a certain level of open minded spirituality um, and gave And my dad. You know, I've been pretty open about this. My dad being a cop, I got a lot of logical skepticism. And I I think if I had been um, immersed in the church more, I probably would have uh, been more um i don't know just more slanted that way especially if i had continued to go so early on and i think about that sometimes um i think i i don't think i would have been that ultra church going type like yeah i don't know um you know because there are certain people like i really like c.s lewis even still not so much the chronicles of narnia those are fun but like his actual philosophy when you get through some of the christianized lingo of it it's really good stuff. I really like it. So there's certain aspects of Christianity I do really appreciate, but it then it just t- steps into that archetypal level where you need to have like that spiritual fire first, like that awakening, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the fuel for the flame. And then you bring that to the community. If the community is stoking that within you, that's not always bad, but that can be the first you know, step towards trouble towards like indoctrination essentially what do you think about that yeah it's true uh, but also you know everything I heard about the church in Oklahoma uh, really was only about one branch of of Christianity the most extreme one I also attended uh, other branches I, I can't recall their names but and and they were really cool basically there wasn't even a church it was just like every Sunday all the kids went to like a community center and playing music and playing games or everything very wholesome of course you know watching movies wholesome films i mean it was all like christian you know but it was still like you know enjoyable uh, i like that church uh, if i had to choose you know but the thing that convinced me that the, the bad church w- was bad uh, was that one of my friends who attended to it uh, we used to love listening to the Smashing Pumpkins, and one day he said he couldn't listen to it anymore because his pastor had said that uh, it was the devil's music, and I thought oh that was God. ridiculous. I was like, oh, come on, <laughs> mm-hmm. relax. He, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, and if uh, irony of it, a few years later, Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins, uh, qu- he quit Smashing Pumpkins and formed a Christian rock band. So I mean, like, oh wow, uh, the pastor, the pastor was wrong. You know, he was a he wasn't, you know. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. But, so, but so to what you said, uh, though, uh, personally, uh, if I talk about Christianity personally, uh, I uh, 
I love uh, the Bible and uh, I study it a lot, but uh, with a more Gnostic perspective. And mm-hmm. uh, there's always good things hidden. The thing you got to learn is you got to learn to read the Bible. Uh, I, I like to call it the spine of the Bible because the Bible was collected and organized and modified by a different people and finally by a, a committee. So it's, it, it's a propaganda tool that they use uh, to control people. But right. the sources they got this propaganda tool was already popular, probably why they used it. Because if you want right. to have an official text, let's take something people already like, just modify it a bit. And um, I think, I, I don't have any proof, but I think one major modification was the uh, uh, making, making God uh, like a man. I think that's uh, a thing they did. I think it was uh, more female in the very early versions we don't have any records of. That's my theory. Yeah, that's one, um, you know, because I think, so we didn't really have a specific topic going into this, and I like where this is going because this opens us up for a lot of talk about alchemy in general. And I I think that the, the Christian aspects of, metaphysics and alchemy in that esoteric sense are um they're they're, they're discussed but they're not as uh, as discussed as um I, like I, th- I think there is a lot of uh good food for thought there and um yeah like the the gnostic idea is interesting and i i do think that that's one of the biggest issues with christianity um as far as i'm concerned because uh, it it's not a judgment on the individual that betters their life with christianity at this point um, I don't really have those to begin with, but it's more of like a, uh, what's the, I don't know the best term. Like I just, the, the minutia of it, they have completely taken out, like they, they shoehorned the divine feminine in. you have the, you have the Holy Trinity and all three of those are like basically men. I guess the Holy Spirit is asexual, but that, you know, it, there's a whole, and for anybody that doesn't know, you know, it, cause I feel like you have to say this all the time. We're not even talking about sexual identities at this point. These are archetypal forces of nature, and it's uh, it's a hermetic thing that most listeners are probably familiar with, but people well, get really could, wrapped up. You could say that God is non-binary. Right, right, and I think that that would be valid. Yeah, because why uh, why associate a gender with God? It's like there's the there's the divine masculine and the divine feminine as these principal forces of nature that um that we have used to help describe sexual identity but i mean i'm completely on board with the idea that sexuality is is a is more of a you know there is genetics but then there's how we associate like psychologically with our own sexuality and there's there's a, a whole lot there to it and it um that's another thing that christianity gets super bogged down in i think that the like identity politics on on both sides of or on any side of any spectrum is just it misses the points and it just divides people a lot more like why are we even associating um like sexual identity with with uh with things like esotericism i see that more and more it just doesn't really need to be a part of the discussion and like i said these things don't actually they they they're much deeper archetypal facets than uh than just the human condition um and i don't know like i i i don't think mary is a you know 
I think it's very telling that historically uh, the the Christian sects that worshipped Mary as the divine feminine um, were like murdered by the church over time. <laughs> they were just completely exterminated. So all of the, and, and then you have like Lilith um, in in Hebrew and Christian um, just theology as being like the female demoness that has kind of extended to the queen of hell and ruler over the the tree of death and all uh, in 21st century um metaphysics and symbolism and stuff and it uh yeah it it really demonizes uh, the uh the feminine quite a bit i find that weird yeah and if you i don't know if you know what the gaydar is the gaydar yeah well yeah. If if you, have, I, I think I have a fairly good gaydar, and uh, I get a lot of gaydar uh, beeps when when you study Jesus, and especially in the Gnostic texts, but even also in the Gospels, you know, there's like a, a, a vibe, at least a bi vibe, I would say. Uh, ah, nice. I appreciate which, that. Which, uh, which indicates a, a person who's bi also embraces the feminine, which will make it logical that Mary is a, a more important figure. Uh, right. you know? Very hermetic naturally yeah. in that sense. Um, and you also have to think about the times. Uh, we like to think of, now we're on a completely different topic, but uh, I came to think of it now. Go for uh, it. The old, ancient, in ancient Greece and even the indigenous people long before the Europe came and took over uh, in in America. Uh, uh, homosexuality was was not was more was more normal than it is now. And there's a famous saying in one I can't remember which group of of Native Americans where uh, women were for family, but 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 men were for love. You know. Hmm. So uh, and also in ancient Greece they had a similar similar concept and often it was a teacher and student you know uh, which brings me to think about you know john the baptist and jesus hmm. uh, you know so that could be a thing yeah very uh, interesting john the baptist is a fascinating character um um there's certain uh there's certain characters throughout the bible that speak to me more than others and um um yeah yeah, John the Baptist, but we don't have to get deep into uh, to Christian stories. This isn't church. Uh, but, you know, it sounds like so, you know, um, I'm sure that there is, you know, there's no way to really, truly pinpoint this stuff from our perspective, our, from our historical perspective now. But there's a lot of evidence to suggest that um, the holy anointing oil that Christ and his followers, um, you know, that, that that was being used for miracles um, originated from cannabis oil. And there's, um, there, we know that people were using these resins, uh, in these places at these times. And, uh, a lot of the miracles, um, even in the, the text as it exists now, which is, you know, embellished, um, as far, you know, from the historical perspective, if you're not a fundamentalist Christian, um, and it mythologized, uh, the, a lot of the, you know, the demonology stems from, conditions like epilepsy and uh and and different neurological um and uh like biological ailments you know because i don't think you could lump schizophrenia in there 
because cannabis definitely does not help schizophrenia. <laughs> but uh, And schizophrenia is also a demonology-influenced sort of thing uh, historically. But, there, you know, um, I do think – and uh, who, what's his name? Chris Bennett is the researcher that goes a lot into that, um, among other aspects of ancient history and cannabis. So there's no way to pinpoint it for sure, but there's, there's a strong argument for it uh, that – Hemp oil, uh, was, or straight up THC oil, was being used in um in a lot of different sacramental um and magical oils and things, um especially in the East, and so potentially Jesus was a hash smoking bisexual. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> I like uh, the sound of that. Old school yeah. hippie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Who didn't like banks and was like. Kind of an anarchist. Would would you agree that Christ was in many ways an anarchist? I've heard that before. Yeah, uh, yeah. in a way, I guess. But he did. Let me think. Yeah, it's a I messages. But there are aspects of. Yeah, anarchism. you could say that. You could say that. I definitely think God is one. But uh, yeah, <laughs> he, uh, explain that he, a little bit. Your view of the. Just the not even Christian, but the Western monotheistic God and your Gnostic perspective, uh, because I ve- I largely agree with it, if if not entirely. And I'd like to hear you talk about it a little bit. Well, the uh, the Gnostic version or 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 my version uh, hmm. uh, mixed with other things would be that. Uh, the God that people speak about uh, that are, are just believing in Christianity or or in in Allah or whatever is is uh, the demiurge uh, is, a, is it's the God below God so uh, the real God the one when I say God I uh, like to call it divine mystery and he would be uh, like we said some sort of non-binary force uh, and um, and what most people think of when they think of God or who they when they pray to a being or the classical you know man in the sky and all that I think that's the the focus. right and do you what do you think about the idea that um <clears throat> excuse me that the demiurge is the devil essentially do you think that that's yeah, a, yeah. A, well do you think um l- l- let me articulate a little more um because i like the the symbolism of that i mean it makes sense um uh but do you think that does that mean in your eyes that the demiurge is all evil because i i think that the demiurge i think some people go there and you know and i'm i'm always interested in having further conversations to get to the <clears throat> the root of any um you know, historical symbolism. But it seems to me that like the Demiurge also is, you know, again, a divine uh, force of nature, if you will, uh, although not exclusively. And it is important sort of that alchemical sacred marriage of opposites, the divine feminine and masculine. Like, do you think the, the, the Demiurge fits into that divine masculine component or are those two different things? Yeah, I think uh, the, the Demiurge comes from Sophia, which is right. wisdom, and uh, but the demiurge. My theory, uh, I don't know if others have had it, but I'm thinking that the demiurge uh, got the power to become this 
and create this world and be the creator uh, of this dream or illusion. And uh, whilst doing that, he became all powerful. So he he got an ego and uh, uh, is a sort of the devil because he he became bad because of power, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, but where my theory comes in is that I also think he forgot that he created it. You know what I mean? So he is not aware he's created an illusion. All he's aware of is that he controls it. Uh, and, uh, uh, and that's uh, like a dominator culture, like Terence McKenna said, that I think is the, the, when we are, well, I paraphrase McKenna now, something about uh, our journey through history started going downwards when we switched from uh, divine feminine to divine masculine. Right. Right. Yeah. I think there's a, there's truly a lot to be said about that. Um, absolutely. And you know, it gives me a little bit of a moment of pause. Like what, <laughs> what would history be like if we had um, continued on the path? Because I think that the, in, in this sense of like sociology, um, the the divine feminine aspect would be that sort of, you know, if we're just boiling it down to the easiest practical terms, that sense of pause and emotional intelligence before just jumping into something like, again, to be re- to be intentionally reductionist here, like aggressiveness or combat, you know, the the the. Because the the classical pitfall of the masculine is just you know steamrolling everything and um, the 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 one of the classical aspects the uh, one of the greatest aspects of the the feminine nature is the uh, that that sort of a, a more willingness to have that pause and that emotional intelligence and that uh, and that lends to the sort of family unit and sort of you know um, well um, it's. Uh... They, they, uh, they are compassionate because they have babies. You know, they care right. for the baby, and and the men uh, fuck things. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, but I, I just, you know, I hope I, this doesn't want co- come across as too stoned because when I, when I'm a bit stoned, I get these crazy ideas. And when you were talking, it created an idea. In alchemy, you have uh, uh, the, also the feminine and the masculine above and below and stuff like that. So the next era uh, should logically be more more by, like a mixture of the two, you know. Yeah, I think that that would be that sounds healthy to me. Um, and, and a yeah. sign that that's happening is is you know uh, all the LGBTQ thing. You know, could be right because at its core, it's a very positive thing. And exactly. I'm all about we both are all about individual rights and living and let live. And I have um, nothing but um, admiration, especially like especially for and I say this with the most love and affection because I have these kinds of people in my family like that old school gay person that had to like. They didn't have any of the tolerance that we have now and compassion um, in society. And so they just they truly were just like, fuck society, fuck all this. Like, it's a very like 
punk rock anarchist mentality of like I'm going to be who I'm going to be and I don't give a shit what anybody else is saying and I love that so much. Uh that's great. But then I, you I, get in you get into cancel culture and you have you have you know LGBTQ activists going after Dave Chappelle for comedy bits and it's like okay, settle down. This is this is not helping anything. Yeah, exactly. I, I have a funny story. I, I once worked as a rickshaw driver, you know, when you, it's like a taxi, but a bicycle. And, oh, okay, uh, cool. And, and there was a huge pride parade, like, uh, this was long ago, a huge pride uh, parade or event or party or whatever in the city. But I, I wasn't at that site, I was at another site, and I picked up two drunk English people and and they knew there was a, a a pride parade and they told me to take them there and they were really drunk and they said like yeah so now we're gonna we're gonna show them you know and like they were really oh, homophobic right god but i was just laughing because uh, i knew what was waiting for them so when we arrived at this pride parade they didn't say a word they got out of the rickshaw and just quietly walked away because they were really tough and they were talking about how they were going to trash and beat up these gay people. But when they actually arrived at the gay people, it was like hundreds of, of, of men without shirts ripped <laughs> <laughs> top to bottom. Like it looked like they all looked like uh, the rock, you know, like, <laughs> because, you know, gay men you know they're like this is comedian who said like uh, it's uh, being gay is gay but no it's actually very manly because they fuck men you know <laughs> so you know they have they have muscles yeah. <laughs> they like to look good you know so it's true. i thought it was funny you know yeah. but yeah but yeah it could be i mean it's oh it it's the best thing would be to have more of a, a balanced balance on the scale you know um, yeah i like talking to you because even my you know my my friends that are plenty open-minded you know myself included in this category aside from being a friend to myself <laughs> oh, there's that stoned lingo coming out from this joint i've been smoking um we are, we're all sort of in the bubble of america for the most part um where we know what's going on outside, but you know, for me, I've I've, I've traveled a lot around, like to not every state, but like all corners of the U.S. except for the tippy top of the Northeast. And um, I, um, but it, it's hard for me to fully wrap my head around all the nuances and and just cultural differences because I haven't been in all these different places. And you have, you've grown up. Um, in um in Europe, I believe different parts of Europe. Um, and then you've spent some time in the U.S. and you've also um spent time traveling to some of these uh, indigenous cultures and partaking in um different uh like ayahuasca and iboga ceremonies. Correct? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So both. yeah, we we're coming up on a break real quick. Um. So, but right after that, I really want to dive into. Um, some of like your metaphysical cultural analyses and some of the things you've seen. So um, I'm here with Alex of Natural Born Alchemist. You are currently listening to Black Hoodie Alchemy and I'm your host, Anthony Tyler. We'll be right back. Stick with us.
Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at IamDarkWaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at IamDarkWaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dogman Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, A Day Ahead of the Devil, Dogman Murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman. Louisiana Water Demon Stories. Sign up today and become a member at IamDarkWaters.com. That's IamDarkWaters.com. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard. And they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. Welcome back, folks, to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm here with my homie Alex, and we're talking about uh, we've been talking about the Western um, traditions of alchemy, not so much hermeticism um, or hermeticism as it relates a lot to Gnosticism and Christianity and the Abrahamic religions a little bit. And Alex is um, um, has traveled around quite a bit, and he's participated in several different iboga and ayahuasca ceremonies. And um, he's got a unique perspective, not only seeing all that different stuff and partaking in it, but he's also <laughs> he is um, he's classy enough to not uh, get on his his uh, his hipster card here. But he very much could play it if he wants to, because Alex was very much doing these things before it became a little more trendy for like CEOs and like businessmen to go and travel to do ayahuasca ceremonies. So he has some interesting perspective on the commercialism of psychedelics, too. So, Alex, I've tossed a few different things out at you, and I'd, I'd kind of just like to hear your perspectives on some of them. Yeah, I... It's funny because I was always opposed to tradition. I always, all my life, I opposed. If there was a tradition, I opposed it. And uh, <laughs> and it's funny because uh, getting to know indigenous cultures and living with indigenous and learning from indigenous people, I really, really believe in tradition. <laughs> you know, like uh, I really got an, a, a positive perspective on on traditions and. I actually started doing some of the traditions I had rejected, uh, doing them again. 
but with a new perspective, like uh, seeing seeing the the you know the source is always good, you know seeing the source of the tradition and embracing that, yeah. and then not not caring so much about you know if you take Christmas for example the commercialization and uh, all the different aspects of Christianity that makes it just like a, a hallmark thing or a, a way to make money. You know, if you look, you can if you strip all all of that away, there's another thing, uh, and and that thing is 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 great. You know, absolutely. Um, the and the whole idea of so, I remember you telling this story once, and maybe you could go into detail about it. I'll set it up a little bit, and maybe you could fill in the blanks and give us more context. Uh, but you said it was an iboga ceremony where you laid down on the bed for a moment and you had a full trip and experienced all this important like interpersonal experience with all these people around you and then at the end of the trip you came like you woke up out of the bed and you were in like a dreamy trance state but not fully asleep and 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 that was when the trip actually started am i remembering that right almost uh, no it was more <laughs> like i i the the ceremony began and it didn't have an effect it, it, the, I was like, because I thought I ate too much because you take, oh. spoons, but I ate 25 spoons. I was like, oh no, I went all the way to Central Africa and I should have eaten 50 spoons or something. There's no effect. <laughs> but the people were there and dancing and singing and, and doing all this, the ceremonial stuff they do in an iboga ceremony. Yeah, it looked good and nice. And my, my, there's two people who are initiated. So the other guy next to me, you know, I looked at him and he, he was laying there. I was wondering, like, does he have an effect? You know, can he mm-hmm. see any visions on that? And it was at that point I opened my eyes. Oh, you know? wow. And I was like, oh, uh, oh, oh, that was the vision. Like, it, it's really hard to explain. But Damn, that <laughs> is intense. Like, That's like real life inception, like dreams within dreams. Oh, yeah. It's trippy. <laughs> yeah, inception came out around the same time. And I was like... <laughs> Uh, my friend said, I don't think we ever came back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, dude, that's something there's something about psychedelics that will really take you to the edge of your your existential seat. Um, and Iboga, if I, I think I've heard that Iboga does that a little more than ayahuasca even. Is Iboga the most intense yeah, I, I, I think it's the most intense. Uh, people often class it lower on the scale, but that's usually because they do this ibogaine, which is like is, is a uh, just an an aspect of iboga. Right, just, just a chemical isolate, like a, like mescaline yeah. to peyote. Yeah, I guess you could say. Uh, and right, it, so it, mescaline it's is actually the, like I think I got that. No, right. but yeah, not like that. No, it's more like uh, it's more like smoking DMT or drinking ayahuasca. Right, exactly. Uh, Perfect. Which is why I'm annoyed at, at maps for trying to make ayahuasca w- without ayahuasca. Uh, you know, uh, remove all the aspects of ayahuasca that makes you feel ill or puke. Oh right. Uh, which is so- like. Uh, it, it would be the equivalent of smoking weed, but removing the THC or something. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a huge part of the trip itself, of the whole experience. Trip is such a light word for it, anyway. Um, but also, the, what it contains, because 
there are tribes that use only ayahuasca. With they use the the indigenous there, they use the iboga for uh, not only for ceremony. They also took, uh, and it was very good for for infection and like uh, when you have like uh, uh, what's it called when you have like animals in your stomach. Yeah, what do you call it? Oh, like parasites. parasites? Yeah. Oh, yeah, like okay. parasites oh, and stuff like that. And they they were whatever ailments you had like take one or two or three spoons you know like that was, wow. it was like a panacea almost um and um and so why remove those things i mean like uh why why only experience the fireworks uh, i think i got the most benefit from the uh, you know the actual uh, other aspects of ayahuasca and uh, iboga uh, but yeah. I mean, I still think DMT is great. But I mean, I I think the the traditional. <laughs> let's get back to that. The traditional is better. <laughs> yeah, because there's also there's something to be said about the. Uh, I completely agree with you. I have always sort of had an anarchist sort of mentality, and I don't know the best way to put it is. In that Jungian sense, we wouldn't be where we are now without these traditions. They're evolutionary components, if you want to just be purely scientific about it. You know, and that's what Dawkins got right, that whole mimetic build. And in a sense, you know, God is a virus. Like that is one way you could put it, this psychological virus, but it doesn't have to be a negative thing. But if you think about it in within the context of what that means scientifically and neurologically and how these things transfer and you know what implications they have in history and psychology i think that there's a lot of and it, it almost has this uh gnostic scientifically gnostic vibe to it essentially and that's kind of where my mind tends to go uh you know i do think that there is metaphysics uh but as i've said before in other places i think that these uh the psychological components these are sort of the building blocks i think we can work um, our way outward. We don't find, despite what people like Dawkins or, uh, would say, would argue otherwise, we don't find limits to the metaphysics. We get to the outer limits of scientific thought and we find that if you want, you can just stop it there, but you'd be lying to yourself. And a lot of scientists do do that. Like, well, we don't have these essential components, but we understand enough, so we're just going to assume this. And when you don't do that, you take a step back and have a much more classically open mind that isn't so dogmatic, and you take into account tradition rather than dogma, you find that, yeah, like, I don't, I think that the difference between tradition and dogma really explains sort of the scientific hindrances we have um, in today's world as well, because there's the difference between scientific thought and then scientism, and that's a major issue, but. In that same vein, um, we've talked about it a little bit before, but there's always more to talk about here. What do you think um, these days? How are you feeling about the state of affairs with commercialism and psychedelics? Because, yeah, psychedelics are extremely useful, and you're a psychedelic um, uh, advocate and an activist in a sense. And uh, But it's kind of weird to see it commercialized to such a heavy extent these days, and it seems to be ramping up. Yeah, I don't think it's it should be a product. I don't like it to be wholesome, uh, which, you know, if you go to the doctor and you get take mushrooms and you sit in his office and it's like some sort of shrink or therapist there. And, you know, like 
I still believe that it would help people if they did it. If they did this, if they made psychedelics into a mainstream product and it was wholesome and everything, it would still be good. I mean, like it's better than now, but it could be great. And what would be great is if it wasn't like that. If it was, if it was free for all and everybody did it. Uh, you know, within their own community, and you know, it's just open and free, but without corporate interests and the government involved. Uh, but the yeah. reason it won't happen to like that is because if it happened like that, why would we need the government? <laughs> like, exactly. Become so irrelevant. I, for since Alaska was a state in the U.S., um, like an official state. Cannabis, for example, was always decriminalized. It was never actually illegal. Um, it was how a lot of states are now where they don't have any sort of medical programs, but you're just going to get your shit confiscated. You'll probably maybe get a fine. And there were a lot of people who didn't want cannabis legalized in Alaska because it in a way it didn't necessarily take away rights, but it's like signing a new contract. You know, it kind of starts the, the template over the decriminalization route in many ways left things decentralized. You're not relying on the government and you're not really earning anything by making it legal, quote unquote, except for the fact that you can have storefronts and you have lab and test results and things. So there are benefits to it, but there are issues. And I, I totally get that. Um, it's the same but, thing. Uh, you go ahead first. Oh, but, um, I, Finish your thought because I had wanted to say something else about what you said before about awesome. okay. uh, Richard Dawkins. <laughs> oh, lovely. I forget. Okay, uh, yeah, because I, I do want to hear that. I, I'll say real quick when you're talking about like making things wholesome, um, sterile, uh, a, another good word in addition to that, because when you isolate these chemicals you, and you strip them of all the surrounding natural chemical structures um you know in something like a plant for instance you know you're throwing off all these ratios like and it's the same thing with psychedelics as it is with cannabis and i know my cannabis very well and when you're when you're vaping if you're if you're just using thc isolates it's a very different feeling um the, the more terpenes you have in something you know thc is the thing that's going to make you give you that classical buzz but the buzz is very different if it's just that buzz. What, you, what you're looking for to contribute to all aspects of the high on any level, whatever spectrum it's a part of on the cannabis wheel there, um, it's, it's, you're looking at the terpenes. Uh, terpenes are like all over nature. And it, I, if you take, for instance, a tincture of just terpenes, um, you're going to experience a very interesting feeling. And it, it very much – it's hard to – translate if you don't feel it but it very much feels like a high minus that small psychoactive component so it's very trippy when you start isolating chemicals and um and it and it i don't know it's it has more therapeutic uh implications than some people might think and i and i think that would be a little bit of a downfall would, would it still help does people getting th thc specific products still help sure but yeah it's not quite the same Nature um, is uh, wild, you know. Yeah. It's not wholesome. It's <laughs> wild, you know. Like I like to keep it wild. Uh, so what was this about Dawkins here? Uh, oh yeah, like the the irony is my in my perspective is that all these atheists like Dawkins and all of them, uh, they're they're correct. 
because the demiurge, the god they're talking about, he doesn't exist. Uh, so I agree with that. You know, the god that Richard Dawkins always dismisses, I also dismisses that god. That's just the demiurge she's explaining. Because all the atheists, they always give an explanation of, you know, they always say, uh, a man in the sky or it's somebody who said he created the universe and you know like he doesn't exist well the demiurge created the universe and, and, and he's just it doesn't he's he's just an archon it is it, an illusion you know he doesn't exist uh, uh, so um, the real god the god above god you know the divine mystery it does but i don't the atheists uh, don't seem to be speaking about this one uh, from my perspective um and uh that's a great point yeah that's really point, interesting food for thought a side point to that is that uh, you know authority which god this demiurge god is is the authority right. and also the government is an authority and right. everything like that and uh, one time when i had an ayahuasca ceremony uh, my friend told me in his ceremony that he he realized i was an author uh, and I was like, what do you mean? Because I was the one who dragged him to the ayahuasca ceremonies in, in the Amazon. So uh, he saw me as the leader of that journey because he, was my, he went there because of me. I told oh, him wow. to come with me. So he, he said I was the author and I was thinking about it. And I was thinking, yeah, well, I am the author of, of my reality, uh, which makes me the authority, you know. So the authority is the one who who authors something. So the government, the only reason they have authority, or the only reason the demiurge has authority, is because they uh, uh, authored it. You know. So, but if we don't read or read those writings, you know, uh, there is no authority. You know what I mean? Yeah. Extremely anarchist punk rock of you. I love it. Um, that's why we get along so well. Yeah. Um, um, and so, in many ways, this whole episode has been alchemical. Um, but for people that, you know, there's still plenty of people out there that just think of um, straight up metallurgic alchemy. Um, and even if they are aware that there was some symbolism involved, they just don't understand. They just kind of think of that like sort of Victorian era, like a Sir Isaac Newton, you know, <laughs> practicing alchemy. <clears throat> and it's a it's a whole lot deeper than that. And so would you like to take a little bit of time to just, you know, whatever comes to you, um, like what does alchemy mean to you and how has it affected you and why do you call yourself an alchemist? Well, uh, alchemy, I think, is the modern version of uh, shamanism because the shaman was an alchemist, in my opinion. Uh, Agreed. I've never seen them do so many different tinctures and uh, potions <laughs> as I've seen uh, and uh, so it's not just the psychedelic, they do other things. And right. uh, and uh, also, the, so that's the practical side of alchemy. And then there's also the spiritual side, which especially in ayahuasca and iboga, I mean, is ripe with alchemical symbolism, you know. Uh, and uh, so I think that it's just a natural way of spirituality moving into science. Alchemy is like a science more. And then... Um, it, that leads into the rigid like scientism science or you know the one we have now uh, which will eventually discover that shamanism was right all along because like you know 
when you eventually when you zoom in far enough into an atom and you reach the smallest point you could ever do, you probably have a perspective of of the universe we're in. You know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It it really is. I've I. What the, what's the best way to put it? The linchpin for me, the thing that veers me off from the classical Abrahamic interpretations, among some of the other things we've talked about, but um, like a like a, a real pivot here is the esoteric idea of God was leaning. It 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 was a direct implication of chaos theory and as above, so below. You know, fractal mathematics that some that um. Uh, an individual unit can be part of a greater whole that is identical to the individual unit. And the idea was that, you know, if there was a cosmos inside each and every human, then the cosmos must in a way be a giant human. But it wasn't meant to be literal in that sense. And but of course, it's just people, you know, historically, it's just very psychological. People are just kind of like look at how people process news headlines and stuff they're going to gravitate towards the easiest telephone game depiction of something and then of course people are also going to run with that with propaganda and it's unfortunate because if you take that if you start um your your um interpretation or just like assessment you know just open-minded research and assessment of the abrahamic religions at that point which um, is where it began, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as a lot of historians are concerned, uh, before it got skewed, then I think it makes a lot more sense. And it also lends sort of to that Gnostic interpretation in many ways. Yeah, um, I think I think uh, Islam is extremely psychedelic. Uh, <laughs> Especially Sufism. And, uh, and most Muslims don't, uh, don't see that. Uh, but uh, there is a book by a Muslim called Tripping with Allah, which is one of the rare exceptions. But I mean, if you've ever been in a mosque, I've been in the Middle East a lot, and, and the mosque, man, uh, I mean, every, if, if I was in charge, if I was the Pope, I would rebuild all churches to look like mosques. I mean, the, they're beautiful, you know, like they're extremely psychedelic, uh, the patterns they have and the, the, the grids and the uh, sacred geometry and all that, I mean, it's amazing. And yeah. uh, uh, like all religions, it's been uh, propagandized into something else, I think. But, you know, I always said, like, well, how did it begin? Well, the prophet went into a cave and talked to angels for several days. You know, <laughs> it sounds like he went went in there and tripped, you know. <laughs> yeah, kind of like Moses uh, burning the bush. That could have been a giant shrub of uh or uh, the acacia bush, right? That's what it is, I believe. I might be pronouncing mm-hmm. yes. that wrong, but yeah, the uh, I think that it's again. That's kind of one of those things similar to Chris Bennett saying that maybe Jesus was using hash oil. And it's like I, I don't know if there's any way to ever know 100%, but that's a damn good case right there, and I find it very interesting. Um, well, yeah. Well, if you have uh, you know all these different you know you say shamanism but it's just a, an umbrella term in each mm-hmm. indigenous group and there's thousands of them that have a different name for it but right. let's say shamanism to make it simple uh, psychedelics is very common in shamanism and then shamanism leads into uh, farming and um, uh, you know indigenous before were very nomadic but you went into farming and uh, you know uh, all these religions began 
why would they skip that part? You know, like uh, I'm sure uh, it led into it. You know, with the yeah. mysteries and all that. Just like the the whole stone date theory. Like I'm sure mushrooms and other psychedelics weren't they weren't like the only reason for the shift, but they were around. They were 100% around and being used. And um, then people start using them they start knowing where to find them um and just like everything it's all part of the adaptation process and then it sort of coalesces into human biology and slowly over millions of years there becomes um you know like stronger adaptations that stemmed from just you know nomadic people eating mushrooms and 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 hemp seed and things like that um and um that i've always thought that as well that makes a lot of sense like when you find things that are truly powerful not just berries like it's almost like a level up like psychologically evolutionarily so you're you're finding berries to, to be reductionist here and you're finding you know you're hunting for a little bit of meat but then you find something like a psychedelic um that's sacramental um you know spiritually and you can also use it you know, to better yourself on the hunt and survival. And then, and so you start to want to have that around you. And so you start learning how to keep it around you. And then when you see the benefit of that, it's like the Pandora's box of horticulture. And then, and then you, you're like, well, we might as well have our food here too. It might not have happened directly in that way, but I think that it definitely contributed to that as well. Uh, yeah. The, the, I think shamanism definitely led into to alchemy and, and all the major religions. I mean, the, the only difference between alchemy and, and modern science is that uh, the alchemist prays before doing the experiments and the right. scientist doesn't. And I had an idea and I wanted to like find a bunch of scientists uh, that are trying to discover something in medicine or something and uh, try to get them to like actually to pray why you know like to pray for a solution or to see if they can find answers and like uh, you know to see as a scientific experiment to see if that would help them in their uh, you know work uh, but they should definitely also do the test by giving giving them uh, psychedelic while they're <laughs> doing their work you know i think yeah. that would be interesting I think there's something to very much be said about the adaptation principle or like the adaptation contributions of hypnosis and trance states and something like prayer and how that could easily lend to your scientific pursuits. Like I would love to see that study. I've seen studies that show that um, in certain cases, um, like that essentially placebo is a suggestion in and of itself and that. Um, it in many cases works, even if you know it's a placebo, uh, just because going through it's it's like magic in that sense, going through the steps the that sort of act as totems in the real world to create psychological triggers can go th- can can have real powerful um, results and effects. And that sort of is um, alchemy in and of itself. It's not just physical reactions it's yeah you're exactly right it's how um these physical reactions relate to psychology and vice versa it's very much an active working school of thought that it that treats the mind just as seriously as it treats the physical world and that's why um yeah i consider myself an alchemist as well i mean and hermeticism just being like 
one of the schools of thought, the Western schools of thought that um, incorporates alchemy in a very direct sense. Um, I'm fond of uh, hermeticism a bit, but ultimately the only thing I really, the only sort of label that I feel like I could naturally be put with is alchemy. Yeah, well, you know, we're pretty much running out of time here. So, um, Alex, wh- uh, what would you like to leave people with? Uh, where can they find you? Um, what um, uh, would you like to promote? Yes, yeah, naturalbornalchemist.com. But if you search Natural Born Alchemist in like, um, like Spotify and YouTube and everywhere and in social media, uh, you'll uh, you'll find me. Um, uh, and uh, you can also uh, join me on Twitter where you can see me constantly losing my mind over the state of the world uh, <laughs> I, I, it's really like a training exercise to be on twitter uh, <laughs> training your patience but uh, no kidding uh, i'm getting a bit better at it i think but it's it's fun and yeah, um, um yeah i love having you on twitter because twitter is a strange place but it's good for networking um and you meet crazy people but i've made some really genuine friends that i initially met um, networking on Twitter and you were one of them. And I'm definitely genuinely thankful for that. Um, even if the internet is mostly bad, sometimes it's definitely not all bad. And, um, you know, um, last thoughts for any listeners. Um, some of the things, you know, some of my talks with Alex in, in some ways were the building blocks for the motif of this show, just sort of a darker look or a look into the darker aspects of metaphysics and you know we have some talks about exclusively about cult leaders and serial killers so anybody that has been listening to the show would probably like those and uh we'll definitely have you back on again man uh, i know you're a fan of the dark and horrific in certain instances so we'll be we'll be having you back on to, to talk about some some crazy shit maybe we'll do some more serial killers yeah, that would be cool. Hopefully, I wasn't too stoned. I don't, don't normally do this stoned, but I don't know if I was rambling too much. No, I think it was perfect, man. I I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we went to some, um, to some really fascinating, like, uh, outer limits of some cool, like, esoteric thought. So, uh, I hope everyone uh, feels the same out there. Thanks for tuning in uh, to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. <laughs>